This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Self-Control Through Torah, where we take journeys through Torah portions uh, using the lens of Musar, the Jewish ethical self-improvement discipline, to see what sort of lessons the Torah can offer us. This week, my co-host Moja Silver and I are looking at Parshat Vayeshev in the book of Genesis, and we will be talking about the Midah, the character trait of order. So hello and thank you for joining us. I'm David Gottlieb, a historian of Judaism and the Director of Jewish Studies at the Spurtis Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. Thanks, David. And I'm Mo And you are? Yeah, and I am. I am. And in addition to that, I am Modia Silva, a psychotherapist in Toronto. Um, so okay. today we're talking about Vayeshev and we're talking about the Midav order. Right, Moja? Right. Absolutely. And, and so... What David said before is we're looking at the Torah portion, the Parsha, through the lens of a particular sefer, a particular book called Cheshbon HaNefesh, The Accounting of the Soul in English, written by Rabbi Leffin in the 1800s. And um, <clears throat> I think we may have said this, but I think it's worth repeating because it's kind of cool, that Benjamin Franklin, the American, was he Ameri Was he born in America, Benjamin Franklin? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah. Ah, okay. So the American, Benjamin Franklin, uh, created this model for looking at 13 character traits, 13 character strengths. And he had this very intricate matrix that he created so that every day you reflect on one trait through the lens of the other 12 traits. And Rabbi Leffin, who seems to have been um, a, a sit, standing in multiple camps, standing in the Orthodox camp of Eastern Europe, as well as the more modern camp of Western Europe, must have come across Benjamin Franklin's model somehow, because he took that model, stripped it, stripped out all of Benjamin Franklin's content and put in Torah content. And that essentially is this book, Heshbon HaNefesh. And what he did, what he does with each of the 13 character traits is he writes three or four pages explaining what that trait is from a character refinement perspective. And then he summarizes it with one sentence. And it's a it's a bit of a technique, a memorization technique. So the idea is you're walking down the street, I'm working on the trait of order or seder in Hebrew. And I've memorized that one sentence. And that one sentence now is going to trigger my memory into the three or four pages so that I fully understand what I'm supposed to be focusing on. So far, so good? Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, so, so I, yeah, go ahead. So uh, so it's interesting to me um, that he opens this section 
on order talking about what happens when we're in a deep sleep and we dream and we just happen to be um, entering into the heart of the story of Joseph now. <clears throat> Joseph, who is a dreamer mm -hmm. and really a diviner, uh, almost a soothsayer, somebody who, unlike the his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, does not, so far as we know, at least in these por this portion, speak directly to or hear directly from God. He is not addressed directly by God, but he understands his dreams to be divine in origin, very different from what Rabbi Leffen is talking about. So really, when we're talking about Joseph and dreams, we're talking about Rabbi Leffen sees it as sort of the stirring of the animal spirit. A dream is, is the stirrings of the animal spirit unencumbered by thoughts and consciousness. When we're asleep, we return really in essence to our animal natures and things are stirred up. But we don't have, we're not in a position where we have the capacity to order them uh, the way we do when we're awake. And when we're awake, our job is to order our thoughts and our activities. It's really a kind of mindfulness exercise. Um, from the perspective of the Midah of order, uh, about which, um, relatively speaking, Rabbi Leffen has very little to say. He only writes a couple of pages on it. He says at the end of his section on order, a person should not stand in one place and daydream about something totally unrelated. In other words, uh, unrelated to what the task before you is. He says, one should be extraordinarily careful not to allow oneself to become confused and must condition oneself to focus all his attention on what he is doing at the moment. So order is really about mindfulness. It is. And mindfulness is one of the gifts, at least early on, that Joseph does not seem to have. He does not understand what the effects of his telling his dreams will have on other people. He doesn't understand the effects he has on other people. He sees his connection to divine insight as just a given, and other people see it as arrogance. So Mojo, with respect to order, my thought on this is that when one has one's places one's thought on the task before one and on ordering one's priorities in one's day. One also has to do something that Joseph, for all his gifts, at least at the beginning of his story, does not do. And that is think about your actions and priorities and the effects they will have on others. Yeah. Um, I like the way you said that because I think it's a little more complex as well, right? Because it's not just he has to think about his actions before doing them, but he also has to recognize what those thoughts are, whether they're thoughts that are enmeshed in emotion or whether they're pure, logical, rational thoughts that it's like, I've got a problem, I just have to go solve it type type but, thinking. But, but yes, I agree. I just want to interject and say dreams are like a different category, aren't they? They're not yeah. thoughts and they're not emotions. They're something else. Right. So I think that's what Rabbi Leffen says at the beginning is he talks about, he introduces the idea that there are two souls, which we learned a while ago in the Tanya, right? Which he, which Correct. 
like the Balatanya, the master of the Tanya, the author of the Tanya, the Chabad Sefer, the, the Chabad book. I keep throwing out a lot of Hebrew words, sorry. Um, that he got it from Kabbalah, I think from Shari Kedusha, mm -hmm. um, that we have an animal soul and either a divine soul or an intellectual soul or however you want to call it. And Rabbi Leffin, I think, takes that idea and says, well, sleep, and I don't think he's talking about pure sleep. I think he's talking about um, metaphorically, that when the, when you're asleep, there are no images or thoughts. When you're in a half-sleep state, maybe like REM type sleep, that there are images, but there's no connection to reality. And then when you're awake, then you have the ability to use your intellect to shift over from your animal soul to your intellectual soul and make sense of what's going on before you act. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but then, but then what we're talking about with Joseph is still something else. It's something because he's yeah, and I think, sorry, Rabbi, is there... yeah, because we know that his is prophecy, right? Like his right. his dreams are a, a different category altogether. Yeah, uh, and then I stepped back, David, and said, "Well, you know, it's 2023. I'm not a prophet. We don't have, according to Orthodox tradition, there is no prophecy anymore, um, right? And so my dream is a dream, and then." I don't remember my dreams, to be honest. So then what is it that what is it that I'm supposed to take away from a Musa perspective? And it's like, how can I go through the world not asleep? How can I go through the world awake? And one of the ways that I have to do it is separate my emotions and intellect and put them in order. But I also have to be able to separate my intellect, my thoughts, whether they're thoughts, memories, beliefs. And so... If I may, I just want to share this idea. Um, you and I probably remember when we would go out and buy a pair of speakers for a stereo system, and we would look at the specs and look for SNR, signal-to-noise ratio. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Vaguely? Okay. They don't do that today. I talk to people much younger than me, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just buy speakers. Anyway, signal-to-noise yeah. ratio is... Um, the signal is the sound that you want, like the music, let's say. And the noise is the static or the, you know, the the thing that disturbs the music. Yeah. So there's an idea from cognitive therapy that all our thoughts either fall into one of those two categories. They're either signal or they're noise. They're either um, facts, it's truth, or it's just made up storytelling narratives that's going to throw us off and, and sort of confuse us. And one of our jobs is to separate those two. So something happens and I go to my thinking. And the first thing I do is I stop and order myself and say, is this, is this a fact? If it is, I'm smart enough to solve it or get other people to help me solve it. And if it's not a fact and it's just this made up storytelling stuff, then I know what it is and it's not of any use to me. I, I think that's um, of order. I like that a lot. When I bring that back to the Torah portion, though, I see something that is, I'm not sure either signal or noise. It may be, it, it may be. I, I find that I find what you're saying about signal to noise ratio extremely helpful. I think it's a great, and because I think Rabbi Leffen is talking somewhat about mindfulness, uh, I think it's a very apt 
uh, metaphor for us to use. But we have in the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people who aren't good at managing the signal to noise ratio. There may be something else going on here. And I want to talk about Joseph, but I also want to talk about Judah, two people who have very different problems with the signal to noise ratio. Mm -hmm. We all do. The key thing with Joseph and Judah is they make it right. They start out wrong and they get it right. With Joseph, he has almost no noise. He has no filter. And the information that comes to him in his dream is unfiltered and pure and easy, at least for him, to interpret. But he thinks that since it is so clear and evident, it shouldn't be a problem for him to share it. And of course, it's a massive problem. He gets sold into slavery. He becomes a captive, which of course, now in, uh, you know, uh, two months after the attacks of October the 7th, still dealing with captives, the fact that we are reading about Joseph's being sold into captivity is kind of searing. But the other thing that is searing is that the reason it happens to him is he has no filter. He has the signal to noise ratio is infinite. He has no noise. So he puts out the signal and doesn't realize the effect it's going to have on other people. If we go to chapter 38 of Genesis and read about Judah, I'm just going to read uh, in the English from the beginning of chapter 38. About that time, this is right after uh, the Joseph is sold into slavery. About that time, Judah left his brothers and camped near a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughters, the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and cohabited with her. Already we're getting two problems with Judah. One is perhaps because of residual guilt over the sale of Joseph, we don't really know why, but he separates himself from his family. He separ he goes out, he goes on his own, um, which in the grand scheme of things indicates some kind of schism. Uh, there are, un you know, we can make, we, I don't want to get too much into the conjecture, but to me, it's a problem that all of a sudden amongst the 12, uh, amongst the surviving brothers, he's on his own. And the next thing is that he sees a daughter of a certain person and marries her. Now I'm not critiquing love at first sight. I don't know whether that's what this is, but unlike Joseph, um, who has no filter, Judah's problem is that he acts on impulse. Judah redeems himself later, and we'll we'll hear about that in, in upcoming Torah portions. But the mm -hmm. problem here is he goes after what he wants, he sees it, and he goes and gets it. Right. And this is an enormous problem in terms of creating order in one's life. I know this, Mojia, because I, as you know, because I keep springing questions on you, I am an improviser by nature. My original career was, my first career was as an actor. I was trained in improvisation. Even when you're following a script, uh, there's a certain amount of innovation and intuition you have to follow. The problem with that, and I hasten to add the career of acting in general, is it's impossible to plan. It's very hard to create order. Judah is not an order maker. He doesn't create disorder. He follows his appetites. So I, th I think you're right, but he follows his appetites also because he has no filter. 
so he has an urge, he has a desire, and then he just goes straight after it. So he doesn't exactly have it. So. Right. It, so in that sense, Judah and Joseph are the same in that they neither of them has a, a, the appropriate filter. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. If we go back to the sen- like the the summary sentence of order in Rabbi Leffin's book, it says, all your actions and possessions should be orderly, each and every one in a set place and at a set time. And I think when you talk about mindfulness, we talk a lot about time in mindfulness. Can you allocate time, the appropriate time, for each thought, for each action, for each emotion? Can you slow things down enough so that you have the time to allow wisdom or understanding or knowledge to come in and be part of the equation of, you know, of, of what what is it should I do? What should I do? I think you're exactly right. And I think this is why traditional Judaism prescribes so many specific activities at so many regular intervals throughout the day. I've had people say to me, who has time to do that? And of course, uh, this goes back to the famous story about uh, Rabbi Israel Salanter, really the founder of Musar, of the Musar movement, when he was asked, if you only had enough time in the day to study one thing, would it be Musar or would it be Torah? And apparently without hesitation, he responded, it'd be Musar. And people were outraged and said, how could you possibly say that you would study Musar over Torah? And his reply was to the effect of, if I study Musar, I will then have the capacity to make the time to study Torah. In other words, Musar is an order-making discipline in the same context of traditional Jewish practice. You do set things at set times. It's exactly what Rabbi Leffen is talking about. And uh, uh, the animal soul, right? The nefesh habehemit, the the animal instinct, the animal urges come to challenge our capacity to make order. Our struggle is to integrate the animal and the human or or be the bridge between the animal and divine. And the only way to do that or the best way or the principal way to do that is to make order, is to make discipline, to do set things at set times. So that then there is then there then there is the capacity to deal with the unexpected. Yeah, um, and neither of the and, and sorry, and no one did that. Like in Joseph's first dream, where he pulls his brothers in and goes, "Hey, I got something to tell you. I just had this cool dream." Um, right, he has no filter, and the result is that the brothers get really mad at him. Right, uh, but I just want to interject while you're looking for the passage. They're pissed off the moment they see him. Why? Because he goes to see them wearing the colored coat that his father has woven for him, indicating him as the favorite. And and they hate him the, the minute they, they lay eyes on him. They get mad at him, understandably so, because he's coming proclaiming his special status. Over to you. Yeah. No, no. That uh, So that's just more blind spots of Joseph, right? So it's not yes. even the dream. I mean, we could also go back to Jacob and say, why Why did he pick a favorite or apparently pick a favorite, right? Right, right. And then and then we need to bring in a family therapist to work with these people. That would be you. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that task is way too big for me. So, but you know what? 
I, I'm actually, I, I am going to spring a question on you yeah. from a sort of therapeutic perspective. We keep seeing the same patterns play over and over again. However, in the stories of Joseph and Judah, and I and and especially Tamar, I would say, we see people who break the pattern, who begin the process of healing by breaking the familial pattern. Is there, is there, a, um, you know, legitimacy to that point of view in your perspective? Is it possible? How, does order help us break patterns like this, or is it only going to reinforce our? justifications and rationalizations for us being the way we are. To me, Joseph, Judah, and Tamar break patterns and initiate healing. Right. I, I, yes, I, the answer is yes. The simple answer is yes, I think, because we're pattern making machines. As humans, we're pattern making machines. So we can't remove all our patterns. The best we can do is replace them. And, um, and the strongest pattern that's always going to come back is the pattern of the animal soul, right? Because we're because we're a physical body, because we're a soul in a physical body, and the physical body seems to yell a lot louder than our soul yells. And um, you know, there's a famous meditation teacher who talks about the mind as being a, a, a field or a garden with grass and weeds, and every time you water it, if you don't water it mindfully with some wisdom, the weeds are going to grow a lot faster than the grass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I think this isn't necessarily a Jewish thought. I think the Jewish thought is the opposite. But my belief is that those weeds grow faster than the flowers. I think in Judaism, we learn that the flowers all grow faster than the weeds. But I think it needs, I think it needs wisdom. In, in this same chapter that you were just reading, or chapter 37, verse 20 um they want they're they're busy talking about throwing him into the pit and it says and now come let us slay him and cast him into one of the pits so the brothers are talking about throwing joseph into the pit right and we will say an evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams so i think the evil beast in this case that what we're talking about is the animal soul that the animal soul devoured him in this case. In other words, he dropped out of higher level consciousness, Joseph, and he had no filter as a result. And he just, his animal soul just took him. He's like, hey, look at me. I just had this amazing dream. I'm going to tell you about it. I love that. And I want to uh, read some commentary that suggests that Joseph does have a powerful animal soul that he periodically succumbs to. Uh, in Genesis 39, Joseph, it says that he came into the house to do his work. This is when he's a servant of Potiphar. Now, on one level, that just means that Joseph comes into his the house. To, he's starting his day at work. But why? Why would he do that knowing that Potiphar's wife has the hots for him? Why would he allow himself to be alone with her? So uh, in the Talmud, Sotah 36b, it says that what it's really saying is that Joseph went in to satisfy his desires. Mm. That's a shocking, that's an amazing thing. This is Joseph succumbing to his animal uh, desires. 
how did Joseph lose his way? You know, he is repeatedly blessed by God, and the Torah goes out of its way, as Shiheld's commentary uh, on this parsha notes, um, that uh, the verse uh, 39.12 describes Joseph's relationship with Potiphar, emphasizing repeatedly that his extraordinary success is made possible only by God's blessing. But Joseph uh, makes no mention of God during these uh, encounters uh, with Potiphar. It's only when he's thrown in jail and he has the opportunity to interpret the dreams of others. And the others say, and later Pharaoh says, can you interpret this for me? And he says to the effect each time, not me, God will interpret. God mm. will see to Pharaoh's well-being. He begins to understand that he is only a vessel, right? And our higher consciousness has to remind us that we are only vessels. We are containers of consciousness, but also appetite. And the way to rule over appetite is to emphasize consciousness. And the way to do that is by creating order. And Moja, I can preach this all day, but I have a lot of trouble practicing it. It is a problem for me because I am an improviser by nature. My wife writes mysteries. Uh, she has a series called The Whipped and Sipped Cafe, and she has learned a lot about writing. She's written three books, and she's learned that there are two different kinds of writers, planners and pantsers. Pantsers meaning they go by the seat of their pants. Uh -huh. Some graph out, chart out, outline everything, and then begin writing. Some write and organize as they go. My wife is in the latter category. I am the same type of person. I have to improvise in order to feel productive. How is this just my animal soul and my appetite ruling over me? What do I do? In other words, our listeners are here wanting to know what to do. I don't know what to do. You're a therapist. I'm your client. All I can do is improvise. What the hell do I do? I'm, I'm begging you for help. This is a problem for me. The problems that we see in this Torah portion are my problems. If you don't plan, you become a slave to, you can become vulnerable to your appetites. The the Torah, the, the Talmudic commentary on Joseph suggests that's what's happening to him. He's no saint. Okay. If you don't plan, if you don't create order, you're there's a manhole you're going to fall into. Please comment. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, David, in this therapy session, our hour is up. You'll have to come back <laughs> next week. <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> I think what you just said isn't contradictory, like to thine own self be true. So you're an improviser, but within that, um, if you bracket that improvisation, you have a lot of order to your day. You said like, we're, we're making a podcast right now and we're improvising, but there is structure and order to it. Like we have read the Pasha. We've read it every year, right? The same portion, right? Um, right? We, spoke last week about when will we get together again and do this and like there is order and then within that order i'm going to actually implement some improvisational bracketing as well that is beautiful and that is exactly what my acting and improv teachers taught me way back in the day is that this is not just free form there has to be a structure around it there are certain things that have to be kept in mind and done under specific circumstances at specific times within that framework you create the opportunity for real creativity. Right. So I took, I actually use an improv technique <laughs> that maybe you taught me. 
um, with some of my clients when they, when I ask them a question and they go, yes, but I was like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if you just said yes. And there you go. Right. So even in improv, as you say, there is structure, there is order. Right. Yes. I, I want to say with something you were saying before to jump, I know we're bouncing around the Parsha, but to jump back or to go forward again to Judah meeting Tamar, his daughter-in-law, right? And she's dressed up, her face is covered, but it says Tamar sits at the crossroads of, and then in English, open eyes. And Joseph, uh, sorry, Judah doesn't see clearly because her face is covered. I think this points to what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to order. It's so easy to go through life without any, without slowing down and taking the time to order things. And everything looks like it's covered, like Tamar's face was covered. But that, I think the hint is that she knew exactly what she was doing. She planned this out to, to fool her father-in-law, basically. <clears throat> yes. But she sat at the crossroads of open eyes. I think that's the clarity, like that we have to have discernment around when to order things and when to go improv. So and that seems that seems consistent with Rabbi Leffen's dictum at the head of the chapter, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I think... So I think um, that is sort of the message that I take from this Torah portion, which is um, uh, the, the two messages with respect to this to the midah of order is we have to go into each day and each circumstance with open eyes. Every moment is a crossroad at which we have to have open eyes um, and that we have to realize that every moment is also a crossroads between our 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 nefesh habe'emit and our nefesh ha'elokit, that at every moment both are contending for dominance, and that if we provide our those two components of our being with a framework, if we confine them, as it were, to a framework, then they will work together, and it is that discipline of framing the two to work in harmony, not to contend one over the other, because I believe if they contend, the animal soul will usually win out. It is that it is by those means that we create order. The character of Joseph uh, is a warning to us to realize that the divine's hand guides these matters more than our ego does. And to Mars is that we have to go into situations that challenge us with open eyes and with a certain amount of in planned intent. That's an amazing summary of the Pasha. Um, maybe maybe this is a good place to pause as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I've learned a lot from you, as usual. I've and enjoyed this discussion. Likewise. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for joining us as we discuss discuss Parshat Vayeshev and the, uh, and the Midah of Order. Thank you again for listening to Self-Control Through Torah. We'll be back next week with an episode where we discuss Parshat Miketz in the book of Genesis. Thank you, as always, for listening to our ramblings. I'm David Gottlieb. And I'm Modia Silva. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye.